do Christians lose their salvation or is it secure forever? Church is a place for people who are hurting. What about suicide? Mm-hmm. Like, could you imagine the, the implications or oh, the I consequences can. Can. of yeah. that theology, yeah, right? It's it, terrible theology. It, it's, it's extremely, it, it's, it would be an existential crisis. Yeah. There would be this law mm-hmm. and then there would be like a fence around the Correct. law. This could be something that maybe in somebody's church is thought of that yep. way. God is the only person who gets to judge. Welcome, everybody, to Kingdom Thinking. On our previous episode, we talked about the question head on as much as we could. Do Christians lose their salvation or is it secure forever? And as we transitioned to this topic, we asked, what about suicide? Mm -hmm. Something that, at least for me, in the last few years has become a lot more pressing in, in my mind as I hear more about Christians or people in churches, even people in ministry. Yeah, for sure. Um, families who've been affected by that. How do we think about that? And so I think it would be worth it to spend some time trying to uh, dialogue about that and hopefully come to some pastoral conclusions that would be comforting and helpful for our viewers on that yeah. topic. Yeah, most definitely. So that's right. So today we are talking about this idea, right? And we're going to be looking at a couple perspectives um, that make these things uh, abundantly clear where we stand, right? Uh, but before we want to do this, we really want to be sincere in this proclamation, right? So actually, uh, Hansel and I met because both of our wives are therapists. And so as a result of that, you will, the more you tune into this show, the more you will see that Hansel and I are huge advocates for mental health therapy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and particularly in the season of the pandemic, right? As stuff mm-hmm. has been so hard yes. over the last year and things continue to stay hard. Yeah. So if you are somebody who is struggling with mental health in any way, shape or form, Please know that getting help is a fantastic thing that you should do. Uh, if you need help, that's not a faith crisis. doesn't make you a bad Christian to go to counseling. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of that stuff is nonsense and just trash. We've talked about that before on other episodes. But this idea that we're going to kind of jump into is the uh, extreme form of this. Obviously, yeah. as people in ministry, we would always want to have people be connected with before this even popped up on the radar, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but it still remains. Pastors kill themselves, people that we know, people that we love take their own lives prematurely. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's a huge thing uh, that we have to talk through, right? Yeah. And so uh, at first, uh, one of the things that I think is important to say is from a mainstream pastoral position, this is not really a belief that's held anymore. Oftentimes when you see people making these types of proclamations, they're usually people in the comment section on a YouTube video or on some discussion piece or on some blog article or whatever. Uh, And so it's important to know that if you're going to try and make the argument from the onset uh, that if you do commit suicide, you go to hell, it's a big uphill battle in terms of mainstream Christianity and what a lot of people kind of think about uh, both those who are in academia and those who Mm -hmm. are just in pastoral ministry. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we're going to look at the argument that says if you commit suicide, you can go to heaven still first. And the place that we're going to begin with is always the person of Jesus and his work on the cross. So why Mm -hmm. don't you take us through that? The first thing that I think is really important to understand is usually when people refer to suicide as the determinative factor for somebody's eternity, the logic kind of goes as, well, ending your life as an equivalent to ending a life would be something like murder. Sure. Okay. Murder is obviously wrong. And having your last act in your life be such a a heavy and weighty um, thing as murder would then discount you Mm -hmm. from, from God's grace. 
kind of like the unforgivable sin of sorts. Sure. Right? And so the idea, and you know what? To be honest with you, this is something that I actually did hear um, around Christians that I knew. Mm -hmm. And so it's not too foreign. This isn't just some lofty idea from left field. This could be something that maybe in somebody's church is thought of that way, that um, dying in sin would be a discounting factor from God's eternal grace, particularly taking of your own life. Because you haven't had a chance to ask for forgiveness, Exactly, exactly. And so it becomes this sort of an unpardonable sin. Um, So on that topic, the only unpardonable sin that the Bible ever references is in in Matthew chapter 12, if I'm not mistaken, um, what's called blasphemy, Mm -hmm. right? And so in the context of Matthew chapter 12, you have this episode where Jesus is ministering and he encounters these religious leaders Mm -hmm. and he's uh, performing this, this exorcism and they get all confused. They're all up in arms. They're saying, wait a minute, he's not casting out demons by God's spirit. He must be casting out demons by, by Beelzebub, Mm -hmm. by, by a false God. He's casting out demons by, by Satan essentially. And so Jesus responds and he says, wait, how can Satan cast out Satan? The, the logic of that doesn't make sense. In other words, if you want to make this a battle of authority, then it doesn't make sense that under the authority of Satan, I would be able to sub make Satan subservient, right? And so then what he says is, no, 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 no. Rather, if I'm casting out demons by the Spirit, then the kingdom of God has arrived right. and is upon you. And so this is a huge cosmological claim. It's not just a claim about exorcism. It's not just a claim about demons and casting out. It's a claim about Jesus uh, by the Holy Spirit reordering the world. Yeah. Setting not only himself as authority over them, but recovering the authority that Adam or that humanity was supposed to have over these these cosmic beings and recovering them. Mm-hmm. And so then consequently, he says, the only unforgivable spirit is to blaspheme, sorry, the unforgivable sin is to blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. In other words, the only unforgivable sin is to to reject that the acts and the ministry and the person of Jesus is actually by the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. that he's doing this. So in, in a nutshell, the unforgivable sin is to reject Jesus. Not to kill yourself. Correct. I don't think it's too inflammatory to say that, yeah, if you're rejecting Jesus, you're um, choosing yeah. <laughs> uh, to be... Uh, out of out of God's grace, sure, right, and so th- so then, like logically and theologically, it doesn't fit. It doesn't follow. It doesn't make sense to say that um, any other sin would fall in that category. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, on the basis of unrepentance, I mean that that gets real interesting, right? Because what if I accidentally thought something, and I wasn't able to repent before I went to sleep? Like, could you imagine the the implications or oh, the I consequences can. Can. of yeah. that theology? Yeah, right, it's it, terrible theology. It, it's it's extremely. It, it's, it would be an existential crisis. Yeah. So on the one hand, it, it doesn't... Well, it also negates the power of the cross. Exactly. And I think that's the most important topic, that what we actually have in the ministry of Jesus, as, as I kind of mentioned, this reordering of the cosmos not only is an issue of authority, but it's an issue of subduing and defeating yeah, the finality. power 
of death itself, yeah, which is the expression and the consequences of sin. Yep. So for the power and the consequence um, and the ensuing shame, guilt, the bondage of sin to completely then be disarmed. Mm-hmm. I think it's Colossians that says it's like it's like a war general who's dragging um, the, the enemy in, in, in this public uh, display of, of defeat that in the crucifixion, the God, the, the wrath of God has been completely uh, absorbed. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a level of security and finality to that that I think is the most disarming um, against this view that something like uh, suicide would would be the determinative factor yeah. in somebody's eternity. Well, and then you look at specific scriptures, right, that are kind of basic, uh, but Romans eight thirty nine tells us that nothing yeah. can separate us from the love of Christ, yeah. and death is mentioned in that list of things that can mm. separate us from Christ's love. Mm. Uh, and so, uh, or anything else in all creation, therefore the subsequent erasure of oneself from creation, right, right. is not something that can uh, separate us from God. And so, uh, but what I think is interesting is like, we we sometimes make this mistake of thinking that upon saying yes to Jesus and committing our lives to Christ and beginning to walk out discipleship and sanctification and all those things, we forget that we still deal with the tainted reality Correct. of the world, right? And, and That's exactly right. Romans 7 is probably my favorite section of Scripture mm. for this kind of conversation because Paul is very open about, you know, he says, I do the things I don't want to do mm-hmm. and I don't do the things I want to do. there, And so it's this conversation about the idea of becoming more and more like Christ mm-hmm. every day. Mm-hmm. So if we're becoming more like Christ, that carries with it the implication that we are not fully like Christ yet, meaning we haven't reached the full level of holiness uh, this side of the grave. Uh, mm-hmm. you know. And, and part of that conversation, though, includes the reality that parts of our brain may not work well, right? We might have yes. chemical imbalances or we might have things that we struggle with, right, that are natural results of the world being the way that it is. And those are things that we still have to deal with and still have to struggle with. So this isn't necessarily solely related to the idea of suicide, but it extends out to the mental health conversation Correct. in general. That's right. But in its fullest and most dangerous expression, suicide falls into this part of the conversation mm-hmm. where it's like uh, the cross is strong enough to defeat the totality of all sin, yeah. right? All, of all bad things. And suicide is certainly a bad thing. And so... Uh, to somehow neglect that thought or to somehow create like this special category right. for suicide uh, is anti-Christ, right? Mm-hmm. In in the sense of like, it goes completely against what Christ says that he has the ability to do yeah. in and of himself. Correct, correct. My mind goes to, I, I heard this saying from a, a friend, a classmate once that says, when we recognize the power of the cross and we come to faith or salvation, we are saved from the consequences of sin. Yeah. Meaning we're saved yeah. from death. Yeah, for sure. However, in this life, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we continue to be saved from the power yeah. of that sin. And it won't be until glorification or until glory or Christ's return that we'll be saved from the effects yep. of that sin. And so there's this... Um, already not yet right inaugurated there's this this element this tension that the inbreaking of god's power is happening and yet it's not fully manifested right still as, right. as we have it here right and so what what this brings my mind to and, and you're alluding to this as we think about something so tragic as suicide what 
what must go through someone's mind, someone's heart yeah. to, to get to that, to that position? I, it, it's hard to fathom, right? Uh, but then you think about um, what about grief? What about losing somebody? Mm-hmm. And what about the pressure of, hey, why aren't you better yet? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I've, I've talked to a friend, a very close friend of mine, who, who would struggle perhaps with uh, like, a, like a body issue or something like that. And like a body dysmorphia? You, we could say like, like a body image issue sure. or something like that. Mm-hmm. What is the expectation of, well, how much, are, how much can we expect? If your faith grows, then you should be able to manage you, right. your, your, your body or your fitness or whatever a certain way to get to a certain level. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is that we inadvertently come up with these, these metrics and these measuring sticks for measuring somebody's faith that are inappropriate. Right. And so what happens is we do more harm than good when we get to that point. Yeah, and, and so this is the problem, right? Because the desire to, this, this position that says you can lose your salvation if you kill yourself, uh, I don't think inherently comes from a malicious place, right? It reminds me a lot, right? There's kind of this conversation around Judaism that would talk about, like there would be this law mm-hmm. and then there would be like a fence around the Correct. law. So that the, the goal would be don't go near the fence so that way you know for sure you didn't violate the law, mm-hmm. right? The tenant itself, right? To mm-hmm. kind of explain it crudely. There, and so I think the idea here from this belief position is like, or this belief in position is that life is holy yeah. and it should be treated as such. And that's a good, like that's a good position to maintain, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's a holy and just and very Jesus-like position to hold on to yeah. there. But to uh, go so far with it, to say that, like, if you make this mistake and commit this, you know, really tough thing and this tragedy happens, that you have lost out on the regenerative life that comes on the other side of heaven, mm-hmm. it is it is a bridge way too far, right? Like, it's right. so far over the line there because there's one, again, there's nothing in Scripture. Jesus mentions nothing about something like this. So in I think what happens is in our desire and in our... Um, haste to kind of value life in all forms, we run into this mistake of maybe creating uh, too rigid of mm-hmm. a stance that leaves us uh, worse off than Correct. just leaving it alone. Yeah, I think so. And and I would certainly hope that understanding the, the robust and definitive um, nature of God's working that even, even imagine that, even death cannot separate us from God. Yeah. I certainly hope that that would bring comfort um, to maybe people who, who are struggling with Correct. something like depression or people who have lost somebody and are in, in, in grief um, or even the pastoral ministry and pastoral care for people, that there is a real level of sanctification or Christian growth that will continue to to hurt and, and to, that we struggle with and mm-hmm. we will not reach what's called perfect sanctification, right? right? Which, interestingly enough, is uh, is a position in, in some doctrinal thoughts and doctrinal schools and some denominations, the idea that uh, Christians can get to uh, perfection. Yeah. And so, I mean, man, like think about how much harm that can do. Yeah, for sure. Um, so how do you think in our churches, how can we handle that topic? Well, I think part of it comes with being aware of where this idea started, right? Understanding like a little bit of the history behind this is valuable just because it gives you some type of context. Because I think the biggest issue that we run into is this is an idea that we've heard before. Mm -hmm. Every person who's been in church for more than five minutes. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
but we don't really all know where it came from, right? Mm-hmm. It's just kind of one of those things that has existed in our ether and just kind of seems to be there, right? Yeah. And so uh, the idea of suicide becoming an unforgivable sin is really popularized in the 13th century with Thomas Aquinas, yeah. right? And so it's important, you know, you can you can find way more about it in Summa Theologia 202 AE, question 64, article 5, right? So play that back if you want to do more digging into that. But it's important for you to know where it comes from so yeah. you can just understand the thinking behind it, right? And again, Aquinas's desire is to, you know, Obey the commandment, yeah. thou shalt not murder. Yeah. And, and he develops a whole string of things that I think are problematic as a result of that desire. There, but it's it's a, not a bad intention in in his setup. But I think pastorally, the idea that we handle this with is one of uh, of grace and care, but also trusting in the words of Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. Because when we read the scriptures and when we spend time delving and digging into Jesus's pronouncements of like judgment. It's always on religious people who tend to play gatekeeper with who gets into heaven and who does not, right? Like, God is the only person who gets to judge anything about people's salvation one way or the other. And even beginning from that point would probably cause a lot of us to just stop and be like, I'm not even going to say anything, right? Even if I do think that that's a credible position, which, Mm. again, it's not. It's not. But even if you do maintain, right, some sentiment towards that idea, the notion here is like, you don't get to say who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. You can say what you what scripture says, and that's mm-hmm. a good thing, right? And mm-hmm. we should be familiar with that. But ultimately, there's only one perfect judge, and it ain't you, and it's not me. And so beginning from that spot, teaching about that pastorally, talking mm-hmm. about that from the pulpit, leading that way in our small groups, one, it humbles us in a way that is so desperately needed in these conversations. But two, and I think more importantly, is it makes us far more empathetic to the conversation yeah around mental health in general and this to me is the crux of the totality of this conversation is like if we as church leaders can't handle people's mental health well then we're not shepherding them Mm -hmm. they're like to take care of someone to shepherd them well that's all of that includes their Mm well-being both mental physical spiritual emotional and if we fail in that then we have failed as the church and if this is not a conversation just like, dude, have more faith, like Correct. get better. And Correct. it's just like you you can't hold yeah. that position and be an effective shepherd of God's people. Yeah, I agree 100%. And I think it pushes back against this consumeristic spirituality where we love metrics for things. We love stories with happy endings. Always. We love finance theories that can promise us a goal for retirement. Yeah. And that's how they're advertised, right? And so I think we import those views into spirituality and Mm -hmm. think well if if i'm doing christianity right then it should be this linear growth right and it's not that way and there's so many writings my favorite and more more most influential would probably be somebody like john co um uh dallas willard Mm -hmm. really um deep deep thinkers about these issues which i think are super super helpful to read i would recommend who are going back to to Christian forefathers and saying, hey, notice this experience that it's not the case rather that as Christian maturity grows, so the experience of God grows, it could actually be the other way. That as Christians become more mature or deeper in their faith, they actually begin to feel farther from God and feel the pains of sin a little deeper. And that, that is a real... Uh, spiritual development, spiritual growth, formation conversation that I think we need to take seriously. Yep. Um, and again, the cross is the best example of God's strength in weakness. 
God's wisdom in what doesn't make sense, right? right? And so something like our brain, somebody's brain not working anymore, somebody's heart being in such despair where they can only see ending their life as the way out. Mm -hmm. We need to have a space for that where we can shepherd people in that space. And so as we conclude this segment, we want to completely offer our words of comfort and urgency for our viewers, our uh, church members, pastors out there to say we need to care um, for all people people and, and people in all walks of life anybody who might be in this situation contemplating suicide or maybe who has mm-hmm. um, and preach the the eternal grip and grace and the power of God in that. Yeah, because if the church is a place for people who are hurting, yeah, it's like if we don't create a large section in our church for people who are dealing with these types right. of things, then like what's the point of even being – like I genuinely can't see one. Yeah. I would rather just be at a social club mm-hmm. where I didn't have to like live by his – you know, difficult standard <laughs> exactly. because it would just be a lot easier for myself. Exactly. It's like we are we are commanded to stand in this space, right? And, and to be uh, signposts is probably a good way to say it that point to the Christ and the power of the mm-hmm. cross, like you're saying there. And to miss that is to miss the gospel mm. there, very centrally put. Yeah, definitely. So what do you guys think? What are some maybe consequences that might be encouraging or uplifting about being able to espouse a robust view Mm -hmm. uh, of the gospel and the implications of the cross and us being called to the away of the cross yeah um leave us a comment we certainly hope that this could be encouraging and uplifting for our viewers who might know somebody or might themselves be in, in similar situations thank you guys for tuning in we'll see you guys next time on kingdom thinking